Hi, and welcome to the Religion and Story podcast with your host, Stephen, Daniel, and Michael Crouch. On this week's podcast, we are going to be talking about Christology, the study of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Daniel is going to outline this week's podcast for us. So this week, we want to deal mainly with the identity of Christ. Uh, and there are three big questions that often get asked when you're talking about what, um, in what way Jesus was the Christ. The first one is, in what way was Jesus divine? Uh, we often understand Jesus as part of the Godhead. In fact, we had a podcast already about the Trinity and the Son as a member of the Trinity. So we want to ask, in what way is Jesus uh, the Christ divine? Um, there's also the question of the knowledge of Jesus. Uh, what sort of power did Jesus have uh, in his earthly ministry? Did he know all things or were some things hidden from him? And he seems to already suggest that in the Bible. And so in what capacity is that the case? And finally, we want to ask the question about in what ways were Jesus tempted? Um, the temptations of Jesus are central to our understandings of our own salvation and redemption. And so for that reason understanding in what way Jesus was tempted is crucial to our faith. So um, one of the first things that we need to ask regarding this topic, uh, let me start with the temptation subject. Um, In order for God's plan to make sense, and in order for the Bible to not contradict itself, um, just trying to get everything to tie together, does it make sense that Jesus was tempted? Was he or was he not? I guess that's a question we need to ask. And if he was tempted, does it even matter? Does that play a role in his character? That, you know, How does that line uh, fall in line with the, the, everything that goes into Christology? So I'll give us a preliminary answer, um, and that is that Hebrews... Uh, just off the bat, tells us that, yes, Jesus was tempted. He was tempted in every way that we are tempted. Um, But then that takes us sort of to your next question, Stephen, and uh, Michael may have thoughts on this, on, uh, yeah, does that matter? Was he able to even sin? So, yes, he was tempted, but did the tempting have the same sort of effect that it has on us? Right. So I think what Daniel's referencing there about whether or not Jesus is able to sin, this isn't as obvious as it, as it might seem just on the face of it. If we go to the book of James, uh, it tells us that God does not tempt us, nor can God be tempted, speaking specifically about God the Father. So there's something about God the Father that we'd like to think is different from God the Son, Jesus Christ. Because what we see in Matthew chapter 4 and where it's replicated in other Gospels is that Jesus was tempted. Uh, Now there's a difference, as our listeners know, between being tempted and giving in to temptation. Uh, One can be tempted without actually sinning, without actually giving in to temptation. So what we need to discuss here is um, assuming that Jesus uh, was tempted and that that temptation was real, It wasn't a fake temptation that was just for show, uh, but that he could have actually sinned, uh, the implications that that has for our Christian life. And I'll go ahead and offer up one implication, uh, and then I'll I'll hand it over to y'all. I think it's that Jesus' sacrifice really matters. 
that if he was not able to actually sin, then it would have been a cheap sacrifice. It would have just been a show rather than being a sign that this is God become flesh, you know, putting on flesh and actually going through the lives that we have failed so miserably uh, to lead. But Jesus did it right. And that's why his, his sacrifice is worth more than any animal or any other human would have been worth. What else do y'all think? Yeah, I would say that you bringing up that if Jesus was not able to sin, it would just kind of cheapen that uh, part of the, the Trinity. If it almost uh, makes Jesus as uh, the part of the Trinity that was a, you know, a spare part that could be sacrificed or wasn't needed in a sense. But yeah, and so we can know that the sacrifice was needed, Jesus could sin. I want to throw, I, I agree with what y'all have said so far, and but I want to throw maybe a wrench into the, to the discussion and ask, uh, was it a foregone conclusion that Jesus would be sinless um, before he was even, before the Son became incarnate? Was, was it already known that he would not sin? And does that have any implications on um, how we all agree that he was able to sin. So uh, was it a foregone conclusion? I, I think no. I, it, it's tempting uh, for me to take the other side on this, that because of my belief in the power of Jesus and his connection to God, that, uh, that there was never any doubt about it. But I think that that takes away um, the worth of the sacrifice of Jesus that something was on the line, uh, that God was willing to take a risk on all of creation and to, to put himself on the line. Um, no, and, and we shouldn't say that Jesus was, you know, wondering what was, what was going on, you know, what, will I make it, will I not? I, I will say that Jesus had confidence that he was able to live a life and live this life without sin, because he knew where his strength came from. He knew that on his own, as 100% man and 100% God, that he needed the relationship with the Father. And I think that that's our calling as well, that even though I fail and fail and fail, I know that if I go back to the Father, that's where I find strength. Well, you contradict yourself is, by saying that because now, now you're saying that if he knew he had the power, then it really he he wasn't going to sin then. No, no. So he knew he knew the way that if he was going to live a perfect life. That, Stephen, thank you for offering offering the correction. So what Jesus knew was that if he was going to live a perfect life, it had to be by depending on the Father. It had to be by depending on his relationship within the Godhead. However, he didn't know that he would do it perfectly. He knew that there was a chance that if he chose not to depend on the Godhead, not to depend on his father, that he could fail. And he would and he would fail if not without God. Well, and that makes sense just because I know that exact same thing. Do I actually live up to it? A lot of times, no. And so, and I think that that's what I was trying to bring up with the question of um, where do the uh, where does God's nature versus man's nature contrast? I think that 
when temptation was presented to Jesus, he was completely able to understand or have the weaknesses that a man have by, let me give it an example. If Jesus was presented with the temptation from Satan, that he would have all this power. He recognizes that the power would be valuable, but he still understood that you cannot compromise your worship of God uh, uh, to Satan um, in order to gain that value. Um, so yeah, the temptations were completely relatable from what Christ went through to what we went to. Hopefully those strings uh, connect uh, for you guys and our listeners. Yeah, I, I think they do. It, yeah, I, I, I think that it's very important for us as Christians to realize that Jesus, as, as Daniel referenced earlier, that scripture says that Jesus went through the same, t- same temptations that we did. I think that what some people would see as a heresy, but is essential to the Christian life, is that we make the connection between Jesus living a perfect life and the possibility that we could have lived a perfect life. However, uh, I want no listener to get me wrong on this, but we do not live a perfect life. And it's because th- that... Uh, Jesus or God in creating us gave gave us every option, every choice along the way to follow him. Yet I choose not to do that. That is why Jesus lived it perfectly. I lived it horribly and I need the blood of Jesus to cover over me. Daniel, any last thoughts on on this part of our topic? Uh, no, I think we covered that uh, pretty well. I do want to begin our conversation for the topic of the divinity of Christ and what Stephen was bringing up about the two natures, the nature of God and the nature of man, of which obviously Jesus had both. Um, so I, I want to offer to you all a, a popular theory called canonic theory, and I'm gonna, um, I may even embellish it more with some of my own uh, ideas, and then I want y'all to tear it down as much as y'all want. Um, so there's uh, one uh, way of understanding these two natures is to say that they're um, that the nature of man and the nature of God are not two exclusive uh, s- separate sets of nature. Uh, let the record show that I'm holding my hands up far apart from each <laughs> other. Um, but rather that the nature of man is a subcategory of the divine nature. All right, so with that said, the canonic theory um, more specifically is the idea that when God became man, so when God the Son specifically became Jesus Christ of Nazareth, um, what he did, keeping with uh, Philippians chapter 2, the Christ him, he emptied himself. And he took all of the aspects of his divine nature that are inessential to being God. Um, so God is uh, God is omnipotent, obviously, and he's omniscient, and he's omnipresent. Um, but we know Jesus for sure wasn't omnipresent, clearly, because he's one, he's one person in one location. So he stripped himself of those unnecessary aspects of being God, but he kept the necessary aspects, which are his love and his justness and his righteousness and his holiness and all those things and his mercy and grace. And that is what became uh, Jesus Nazareth, and that um, and that was able to be a human being. Um, that spirit, that soul, was able to be a human. That's how we can understand maybe those two natures. 
Uh, what are y'all's thoughts on that? I'll just say that my first reaction is we know that Jesus had some of these uh, things that I don't know if you were ruling them out, but we know that he was able to perform miracles. He was all-powerful, and uh, and maybe I need to reference the uh, the hymn that he could have called 10,000 Angels. There's a lot of things <laughs> that he was capable of doing that he did not exercise his powers in uh, certain ways because they were not... Uh, um, either the time wasn't right or uh, he would recognize that as a, a limitation to what he was actually going to do on earth, uh, either the time or it wasn't in accordance with uh, the kingdom of God or God's plan, whatever it might be. Uh, we see that he chose to do some things and uh, chose not to do some others. Um, and, and so that's kind of how I feel about the uh, his all-powerful uh, nature as a man and God, um, and I, uh, as far as omnipresent, I know that Jesus is in my heart, uh, so he's, at, at this point, <laughs> we know that Jesus is omnipresent for those that uh, allow them into their heart. Wouldn't you say that the Holy Spirit is is what lives in you now? <clears throat> Taking a second to think about that, yeah, I mean, yes, that is true, um, and that, that's why Jesus being present uh, in our body as the temple, I think there is something I just don't know off the top of my head. So listeners, if, if uh, you want to uh, get into the scripture and uh, let us know where, or if there is any place where it, we can invite Jesus into our heart, then please uh, um, shoot that over to us afterwards. Well, in uh, Jesus's prayer for the disciples in John, um, he uses a lot of language of his continual presence with them, though I think a lot of people would say when he's saying that, he's actually speaking for the Spirit, but that's neither here nor there, and Stephen, uh, you're actually bringing us into a, another part of the discussion, maybe we have to have them at the same time, which is the knowledge of Jesus, which is short for just, in what regard does Jesus maintain those divine powers? Um, I mean, do y'all have other ideas, though, for um, the the dual nature inside of Jesus, the divine and the human nature? Uh, when you get down to the most basic part of it, and how I've heard it best described is that he was fully God and fully man. And so I don't think that there are limitations of uh, his spiritual being uh, as far as being part of the Trinity. Uh, I just think that he chose to... Uh, take on the physical aspect of a human and sacrifice that human body while living a perfect life. Um, and so, uh, it, like I'm saying, it really comes down to he was fully God and fully human, and that really is the best way to define who Christ was. I mean, what other questions are y'all wanting to dissect it, uh, to this? So, uh, Stephen, I agree with you that part of being a Christian is living with this seeming contradiction, which is not really a contradiction at all. Uh, it is, it's living with two truths uh, being true at the same time. Um, I do agree, Daniel, with what you were saying earlier, that in order for Jesus to be human, he had to, to shed some of the abilities of being God. Um, 
you know, you, you mentioned omnipotence. It seems from scripture that he gives up some of his knowledge, which we'll talk a little bit more about. Um, he, he gives up, um, I actually think that he, he gives up his, uh, what would be miracle performing ability. And anytime that he performs miracles on earth, he does it through the father. It, you know, he, he will pray over the bread, which then multiplies it to the 5,000 people. It is not, um, it is not because of anything that he has done, but because God, because God is working in him. And it's because of that, that he is able to pass that ability on to his apostles. And even his apostles are able to pass that ability on one more, you know, to one more generation, you know, the laying on of hands, which allows them to perform miracles. Um, so it is not because of, of anything special about Jesus, but because of his relationship to the Father. Um, of course, it's, it's extremely unique. But, but Daniel, I guess I'm, I'm curious about some of the, the, own, uh, the, the holes that you see in your own uh, uh, idea that you were putting forward. I mean, I agree with you that, God, uh, that Jesus had to take off uh, some of the attributes of God while still maintaining full divinity, because that's not, I mean, what makes him God is, is that he is a co-eternal, co-equal uh, member of the Trinity, and you can't take that away from him, but go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, I, yeah, I do have um, some issues with that. Um, so as the canonic theory, as I've heard it explained, the main thing is shedding um, some of these divine attributes, your omnis, and maintaining the other divine attributes, which are more of like the virtues, the love and righteousness and holiness and stuff. I'm afraid, though, when you do that, that it goes back to our original discussion and says that if God, or if Jesus, sorry, is um, perfectly righteous, because um, he maintained that from his, as a member of the Trinity, as being divine, then he no longer has to, there is no worry that he will uh, succumb to temptation, and thus his sacrifice is cheapened. Um, so that part of it is uh, I have issue with. Um, but I will say I, I'm not aware of any great alternative. Well, so I, I guess I disagree. I think I might disagree with you. Um, I, I would say that that is one of the things that he shed. Now, he ends up living the life perfectly, but it's not because of the divine attribute that he maintained. It's because he did it. It's not because he had to do it. It's because he actually did the hard work um, to do it. He had the, he he depended on the relationship with God, and that's what accomplished it for him. Yeah, and I get what you're saying. And I guess just the difficulty of the issue is understanding in what way Jesus. And this is the whole discussion. In what way Jesus is divine. Um, it makes perfect sense. That like the the sacrifice has meaning if it's a human, depending on the power of the Father, um, and so yeah, in that way everything works perfectly. But as Christians, we still proclaim that Jesus is not just a human, depending on the power of the Father. He is Himself divine. And what if there's any divinity in there? It just it becomes really confusing. And I admit my own that's my own shortcoming. Well, I, I have something. I don't want to get us off on a tangent, but. Uh, I am a strong believer that people are a result of the environment that they uh, that they are in, and so how because Jesus was in the environment of the world, 
it is hard to say how did Jesus not become impressionable from uh, a young age uh, to do some of the sinful things that we pick up and uh, put into our lives. How do you think uh, Christ was able to overcome what we are all victims of, of being products of our, our environment? Daniel, um, do you want to give a, a wrap-up thought there on the knowledge of Christ and how he might have been able to do that? And, and I'm saying oh, this is this is something I, I don't think we necessarily need to get into, but is it possible that Christ could have misbehaved before he reached the age of accountability? I, 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 okay, so lo, lo, this will be my closing comment at least. Um, I do, I mean, I don't think we should go to that, uh, that classic... Uh, Christmas song, uh, Away in a Manger, No Crib for a Bed, The Little Lord Jesus Laid Down His Sweet Head, uh, something about how he doesn't cry. Anyway, um, th there's a line in there about how no crying he makes. Um, that, that's silly. To think that, that Jesus as a baby didn't cry, crying is not sinning. I do believe that from the age of accountability, whatever that is, that uh, Jesus was aware of his place uh, in the cosmos, was aware of of his relationship with God the Father, and from the first choice that he ever had to make between sinning and not sinning, chose to not sin because of his relationship with God the Father. Um, for the record, I will say that you know we only know about Jesus at 12 years old. Do I have evidence for this other than the scripture telling me that he was without sin? I think that that's just the natural implications of, yeah. of the story of Jesus. I would say we need to be careful that uh, as Jesus was made aware of different things, as he learned the scriptures because he had to learn them just like the rest of us, he didn't pop out of the womb being able to uh, quote everything. Uh, but we need to be careful to say that he uh, behaved uh, um without sinning as he learned stuff because that would mean that Jesus could have sinned in ignorance and a sin in ignorance is um, is still a sin and we see that in Romans uh, chapter 3 I believe that uh, Paul says that we need to or Christ was made a sacrifice for even those who uh, sinned uh, without uh, knowing or sin in ignorance I'll have to look up the depending on the translation. But yeah, we need to be careful that we don't put Jesus as somebody who uh, could have possibly sinned in ignorance. Yeah. Daniel, wrap us up. Yeah, so um, I'll go ahead and share my thoughts on the divine knowledge and uh, close this out in that way. That uh, I like two of the things, um, something that each of y'all said, that um, I agree with Michael that everything that Jesus did that was in some way miraculous, so showing his uh, knowledge of events that a human should have no knowledge of, or being able to turn water into wine, um, uh, things of that nature, those are all done by the power of the Father. Jesus did not inherently have, um, as a human, Jesus did not have um, any a great cosmic power, but the Father gave him power in the same way that the Father would later give the apostles uh, power and the and those afterward. Um, and as a part of that, that means that Jesus was not omniscient. And like Stephen said, uh, I, I would agree that Jesus learned um, as he went. He learned about the scriptures. 
I might go farther than both of y'all to say that he learned of his identity in that way through his reflection on scripture while living his perfect life, uh, coincidentally, he understood who he was and his identity. And that helps us understand the baptism a little bit more, um, that he he comes to John the Baptist, and that is where he has his identity given to him by the Father. The Father is not declaring that for, um, for anyone else but for Jesus. Uh, we are unaware of anyone standing there getting to hear the Father say, this is my son, um, but we know that Jesus hears that. Um, and that is when he is uh, fully given his identity, and he goes on his ministry afterward. I would say that's possible. We also know that Jesus knew his identity because he states that he had to be a, a part uh, about his father's business when he was 12. Um, I, I, I could say that's possible. Uh, I, nothing more than that, though. I, I will. I want to go ahead. I think that's, that's a great uh, retort, and I should have addressed that to say, um, his identity as the one who must die. Sorry, the full oh, okay. um, work and identity of Christ. But yeah, he obviously at the age of 12, he already is beginning to understand yeah. so, given direction in that way. And, and I think that's a, a great ending and a great segue. Join us next week as we talk about the work of Christ and specifically his work of atonement. Thanks for listening.